Hey, everybody. Welcome to my show, My So-Called Fabulous. I'm Tiffany Blackman. It's so good that you're listening to me today. I always say I'm watching you, but you're not. You're not well, you are kind of watching me. So here we are today. I have to say it's my first first male guest. I'm so excited. And you all know that I am a mom, cookbook author, chef. I'm a sister. I'm a daughter. I'm all that fun stuff. Chef, cookbook author, hence my guest today, Mike McAuliffe. Hello, Mike. How I'm, are you? I'm honored to be your first man. It's, it's pretty cool. I mean, we fought, we started on time. I mean, there's something to be said about that. Not everyone's prepping out in the hallways, of course, but thank you so much for being here. Thank you for the invite. Absolutely. Well, I want to talk about how I met you, and I'm trying to think. I mean, we were talking a little bit before, but how did I meet you? I really think it might have been around Buffalo Gap. Yes. You know, so because, you know, that was a that was a, a festival that Riata always participated in. It actually gave us a whole idea of having... A of creating the Fort Worth Food and Wine Festival. Right. You know, Tom and Lisa Primi are really, really special people. Um, and then, you know, I think we met there. And then Fort Worth being what Fort Worth is, right. once you meet somebody, you start seeing them at restaurants oh, around sure. town. You start seeing them at TCU games. Right. And they become really close friends. That's right. And we do see each other at TCU games because you've been you've participated for years and years and years in the Champions Club, in the club level. So, we have. Yes, and we'll get to that. But I want to talk to you. So, Mike, you went to TCU. I did. So I actually frogs. graduated here in Fort Worth from high school from All Saints. I actually got a, all my basics uh-huh. at a, a university called Sol Ross, which is out in Alpine. And that's where the rest, that's where the first restaurant, Riata, was at. Right. We had bought a ranch out there in 91. Okay. So I did that. And originally I thought I wanted to go into a ranch man, into wildlife management. Really? Um, but always I was wanting to go through the ranch management school at TCU. And it, it was a certificate program, but it would count as electives if I went off to Texas Tech and got a, you know, a, a wildlife management degree or would count at TCU. So I guess it would be going into my junior year. I went through the ranch management program. Right. You know, had a great time there and then decided really through that program on how much focus there is on business and break evens and things like that, that I would just stay and complete a uh, business degree at TCU. Okay. Gotcha. So backing up, Mike, your family owns Riata, which is a, a well-known restaurant in Fort Worth and Sundance, and also Riata in Alpine out in West Texas. So that's that's kind of your background I'm starting with, but and we're leading into this with all this food and information, but TCU, and then let me, so if you went to All Saints, you grew up in Fort Worth, did, did, your, did your family have a ranch at the, when growing up? Uh, so my dad moved to Texas in 1975, just before I was born. From? So Detroit. Detroit. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So, um, so his first business or his business that he, you know, that he had a couple partners with was a silicone manufacturing business. So we make a lot of um, different parts for the auto and appliance industry. So like a spark plug boot on a car is going to be a silicone. Really? Yeah. So that's a, you know, some maybe like gasket seals on a refrigerator, that's going to be silicone because silicone is a is synthetic rubber that can take a wide temperature variation. So wow. it can sit on an engine and not melt, but it also can still remain pliable at, you know, 25 degrees. So it might be a good ceiling for your freezer. So, um, so he moved that from Detroit to Texas in 1975. Um, originally they lived right in Fort Worth, but then bought a place out on the clear fork of the Trinity river, kind of out in Alito mm-hmm. in 1980. So when I was six, right, moved out there and, you know, basically we had a, you know, 
100 acres, but then it backed up under the Clear Fork of the Trinity River. So I spent a lot of time, you know, running up and down the river and fishing in the river and things like that. So really have a love for the outdoors. Um, And and at that time, you know, I think people think about Alito now. Oh, gosh. You know, and Alito then and Alito now is totally different. There was Mm -hmm. one little convenience store called Ralph's. There was no grocery store. There was maybe the Bearcat Cafe was in Alito, but, you know, really for us, the closest restaurant was Margie's there on Highway 80. Oh, my God. So, I mean, there's been a big change between that and and what it is. uh, Absolutely not. And when you mention Clear Fork, you're not talking where Neyman's is. (laughs) No, no. So, so, but I mean, but it's the Clear Fork of the Trinity River. So, the Clear Fork of the Trinity River comes out of of Lake Weatherford, went through the back part of our property, goes into Lake Bembrook, and then from Bembrook, it flows, and it goes right through the the Edwards development, the Clear Fork uh, development right right there in Fort Worth, which now I live you know, yeah. a mile from the Clear Fork development. Exactly. So, so Riata, so I was reading on the history, Al, your father, yep. decided he wanted something really good to eat in Alpine. He did. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, you, you, he is a serial entrepreneur. So he's, he's got more ideas than he has cash, right? So right. he's always coming up with the next idea. So <laughs> isn't the, that true? Yes. Yeah, so the current one is cigars, but you know, you're but, getting, but it will continue to evolve over the years. Um, but, but you know, we had the uh, met Grady Spears out there. He was working at the Gage uh, Hotel, right? Um, and we, when we bought the ranch in '91, we um, had possession of the. Well, we bought the ranch, but didn't have possession of the house for six months. Okay. So we kind of had a room there at the Gage that we could stay at, you know, and visit the ranch. Um, and met Grady because when he was a chef out there. Um, and then you know there wasn't a great place to eat in Alpine. Right. Um, you know, first. My dad hired Grady to sell coffee because that was another idea. That, that is hysterical. Your dad. You know, your dad. And, and then Grady was not a very good salesman. So we started. <laughs> He's the, talented, but he, not in sales. Not, not in sales. <laughs> so started the uh, started the restaurant there in Alpine in March of 95. There was an old Adobe house that was actually built in the 1880s. Wow. Um, called Downtown Browns. We bought that location. And that's still where the restaurant is today in Alpine. So Is it really? Yep. So looking at, because in Riata and Sundance, what an iconic restaurant. I mean, that is, you have a lot of tourists to come through. I know you do a lot of private catering inside and outside the restaurant, but an iconic restaurant, the size of Fort Worth versus Alpine. Is it Small? Alpine is 6,000 people. Okay. 6,000 people. Yeah, that's right. So incredibly small. And and there's been a lot of evolution since then. Sure. You know, after we opened the restaurant in Fort Worth, we convinced Benny Keith to to service the Alpine location. right. And, And now I think... I'll, you know, Benny Key's number one rep is the guy that, that handles that territory. They do a great job. They actually deliver five days a week from their distribution center here in Fort Worth. Right. Which is, which is kind of incredible because it's 470 miles away. That is crazy. So they do a great job servicing us, and, and they've become a great partner over the years. Um, but, you know, the, the restaurant in Fort Worth was originally in the, which is now the Tower Condominiums, was the Bank One Tower at that time. Right. Bob Simple, who was president of Bank One at the time, um, and is now with the— uh, Bank of Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, he brought a hunter out to the ranch and the, and ate at the restaurant in Alpine. And he said, "Hey, we'll cut you a great deal if you want to open a restaurant in Fort Worth, because the Century Two Club was yeah. at the top of the back one building right. had been closed for a couple of years. So I think they were just looking for somebody to um, to open and kind of breathe breathe life back into that space. But I think the interesting thing about that between the mid '90s and now." 
was people didn't think about lifestyle developments like they do now. Right. You know, so, I mean, you know, if you had a building, you basically put a private club in it. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And, yes. and you still All see that clubs. a little bit in Fort Worth, but I mean, you, you got the city club and you got the petroleum club and you had the century two club. Right. Where now everybody thinks about intermingling restaurants and retail and office and residential all together. That really wasn't the case back in the mid nineties. Right. Not at all. Isn't that, and it's, you know, that even comes with, with food trends, you know, as well as demographic trends as well. Of course. I mean, how much food's changed. And so the Riata restaurant, would you call it, what type of cuisine would you call it? You know, if uh, we, I think we call it Texas cuisine. And mm-hmm. I think there has been a whole, you know, I mean, think since we started, and I think if you look at John Bonnell, mm-hmm. you know, the Texas is a great big melding of flavors. You know, I think we always, Texas always holds its place as like a strong steakhouse location. Exactly. But then I think you have these intermingling, you have this Southwestern or you have this, you know, Tex-Mex influence on Texas cuisine. Um, but then you also have the whole Gulf Coast. So you have this like redfish and a little bit of Cajun and Creole. You know, as you know, Texas is such a big state. Right. You know, the difference between El Paso and Beaumont. Oh, heavens. Is incredible, <laughs> it's right? In- it's incredible. Right? You know, um, but I think when you have Texas cuisine, you get to meld all those different flavors and, and really create something special for visitors, visitors from around the well, world. Well, you know, uh, Stephen Piles and yep. of course, started in West Texas and he's in Dallas and the number of flavors, the flavor profiles, the different different types of cuisine that he's worked and developed. I love him. He's he's a great dear friend. But I just I every time he and he's starting over, you know, he's, he'll try this one, try all that. But remember do you remember Ruth Street? Back in Dallas, you're too young. No, man. I don't remember that one. Oh gosh, I just I think I first remember remember reading about Stevens when he was at Star Canyon. Yes, way Star back Canyon. When. Okay, yep. right before Star Canyon, he was at at uh, Roo Street, just down the street. So yeah, but Star Canyon. Oh my gosh, what a great great restaurant. Okay, so a lot of you have the rooftop bar here in Fort Worth mm-hmm. with Riata, and I mean, what a hit! It's just beautiful. So we've got like we've got a very big restaurant. It's like twenty two thousand square feet. Wow. What means it's like a very hard restaurant to manage because of all the different levels. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you look compared to us and a lot of other restaurants, we're probably like management heavy. Mm-hmm. But part of that is on a busy Saturday night, you've got, you possibly have events on four different floors. Oh my goodness. So you have to have managers kind of spread out. Um, we're lucky we have a good, um, we have a good management team and, and a pretty good workforce. Although, obviously, and I think you've probably seen this as you're dining, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's becoming a more and more difficult environment mm-hmm. and, and, and getting great weight staff is becoming oh. more and more difficult in training programs and that kind of deal. So it's even more important now than it was exactly 20 years ago. Front of the house and back of the house. Um, I had Sharice Henry here a couple of weeks ago with Pacific Table and just talking about the challenges front of the house versus the back of the yeah. house and talking to each other. So um, I remember one of Greg and I's first dates, I had been to Riata, of course, but it was the rooftop bar. He could not take me and it was snowing. I mean, snowing in Fort Worth, go figure. But we had the best time, just a beautiful view, and it's it's just amazing. So, okay, how much time do you spend at Riata today? And you have so many irons in the fire, I know. But Good question. You- I'm usually by there most days when I'm in Fort Worth, mm-hmm. but a lot of times it'll be down, it'll be there, you know, 
like at lunchtime, middle of the afternoon, because that's really my opportunity to talk and visit with the other managers. Mm-hmm. Um, on the weekends, if I'm in town, I'll try to make it by there on Friday and Saturday night, um, especially between that, you know, 7.30 and 8.30 time, because mm-hmm. you can kind of hit the early reservations, you can kind of hit the, old res- the older uh, reservations. But I don't think I add a lot of value to the, to the day-to-day management <laughs> of the restaurant. You don't? No, no, no. I think for me, I think it's more business development. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, if you looked at me... Com- into other businesses, mm-hmm. you know, the restaurant business is an interesting business because you could have a hundred million dollar manufacturing company and nobody in Fort Worth would know who you are, Correct. but you could have a $2 million restaurant and everybody knows you and you're friends with everybody. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, you're out in front of people. Social. And, and, you know, we, we work clo- closely with our Visit Fort Worth, which is our Convention and Visitors Bureau. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you, you try to help bring some of these different events to Fort Worth right. um, that not only benefit the restaurants, but benefit the hotels and, and basically the whole city. Exactly. So, and you're right. But, you know, back to what you were talking about, everyone knows you. I mean, you're the face. Would you agree that you are the face of Riata? I mean, everyone knows Mike and... We are, and I think that's one of the interesting things is that, you know, I think we made a decision years ago that we want to promote our chef, we want to promote our general manager or something like that. But the other thing is, is that, you know, over the years we've had many great chefs work Turnover. at our restaurant, right, right? Right, But, you know, for that, you know, we, but we want still people to have a great experience. So it's a lot more like you're running a business and you're, and you're creating a team. Exactly. So that if you do lose one person, the guests never know. Exactly. Exactly. And, and you know, I, I'm so impressed and I've been a chef for many, many years and I did my husband's and you want a restaurant, right? No, that is not who I am. I'm not I'm I'm just not, and I have so many friends that are restaurant owners and in in the in the kitchen, and it's just not who it's not the path after culinary school that I wanted to yep. go. You know what I mean? Because it's it is a struggle, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, and but and I do think the hard thing for me is that when I dine around Fort Worth. I don't think I get the same service as everybody else because too many people know me, right? right? You know, so it's hard for me to give a full review of a restaurant because you end up knowing the server, you know, you know, the chef, you know, this general manager. So I I think, you know, I get a little bit of experience just like you get a different experience at -hmm. Pacific Table and your puppies and everything else. (laughs) Exactly. He knows what a puppy is. I've been listening to your podcast, right? I'm a fan. You know what? I am determined to get this on the majority of restaurants in Austin. I have it on one and I mean, not Austin, but I have it on one in Austin, but I just, I'm going to get this done. My recipe for the puppy. Anyway, well, good. So, yes. So, I mean, it's, it is an interesting, interesting, I, uh, it's business and I'm not even qualified to talk about it, but been in the beef industry. So in that org, you know, in the, in that part of it and providing good, safe, um, you know, the, 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 the cattle and make sure that everyone's promoting cattle. So I'm in that arm of it. And you as well know as a rancher, right? We are. And I think there's some interesting things out there. And, and I think, you know, obviously you've seen some trends and I think you've seen trends lately, even like with the Impossible Burger. Yes. And I think the interesting thing for me is there's trends are kind of separating. People are talking about things. They want things less processed, mm-hmm. right? Which I think I tend to agree with. Exactly. But if you look at something in like the Impossible Burger, you can't anything getting more processed than that. So one of my favorite TED Talks is a gentleman named Alan Savory, Mm -hmm. and and it's all about using animals to graze lands and how you need that grazing 
for those grasslands um, to be healthy. Right. So, and he's giving you, know, and he's got a great podcast. He's got a great TED talk okay. that you can go YouTube and you can look at any time. But, you know, they show some areas that have had no animals grazing on them in a hundred years. Right. And the, the land is deteriorating even worse than areas that might've been overgrazed. Oh my goodness. So I think, you know, I think you got to use animals as a tool to basically produce a protein that we can all enjoy. Exactly. Because there's a bunch of the country that's never going to be suitable for growing crops. Right. You know, and I think we've seen it in Fort William, you know, even in Texas, if you go back to 2014, which wasn't that long ago, you know, mineral wells was within 30 days of running out of water, mm-hmm. which all falls was the same way. You know, I think we've got some challenges with our water. Um, and, and if Exactly. And if we can use, you know, you can use grazing animals that, that don't have to be fed alfalfa. Exactly. They can, you know, we're out in Alpine, we get 15 inches of rain a year and we're still raising calves that are six or 700 pounds, right. you know, by October. You know what? You just said that. And it just, it just occurred to me, 2014, that seems like yesterday, but the big drought, I mean, yep. and I remember in Austin was living there at the time and um, you could walk across Lake Austin. Yep. No, no, Lake Travis. Lake Travis. You could literally walk across it. I mean, the water and people, the rations and so on. So, yes, absolutely. Yeah. How times have changed. And of course, with grazing and cattle and production, you know, being hand, working hand in hand with cat, cattle ranchers and producers, it's, it's, it's been, yep. you know, watching, watching the trends as well, too. Yep. So, well, great. So, okay. So, y'all, I see you at TCU at the club. So, mm-hmm. we, I'm, and we're big for one frogs. Um, Kennedy, you know, daughter Kennedy. She's number 19 in our family to go to TCU, so she bleeds purple. I didn't know that. Yes, number 19. Is that crazy? We all went. We had to go. There's no choice. But, you know, Kennedy was so nervous. She goes, what if I don't get in? (laughs) You better get in. (laughs) I don't think Kennedy's anything to worry about. (laughs) Right. So um, so we see you at the club. So we've seen the changes with the TCU Champions Club and the club level and the time from um, Tim Love and John Vanell. And now it is run by... Sedexo, right? Well, I mean, Sodexo has always Sodexo. been there, you mm-hmm. know, so I mean, Sodexo is a division of Marriott, mm-hmm. you know, they do food service at, um, at locations all over. So they've got the contract at TCU, right. not only for the club, but for all the cafeterias right. and stuff on the ground. Right. So, um, Sodexo has kind of always been there, but obviously when you've seen when, when Bonnell was there for a number of years, I think it was really John's idea to bring in restaurants to create some more of our, um, visibility, mm-hmm. but also allows these restaurants to kind of get in front of um, their guests and get in front of those TCU fans in a different way. Right. You know, I've got some good friends and, you know, that have a ranch in Pecos. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're from Midland, Mike Harrison. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, I get to see Mike three or four times a year at all the TCU games. Yes. And other than that, I might not run into him right. out in West Texas at all. Right. You know, we're just going different directions. Right. And but it's so great to see him. I've seen people at the club and they said, oh, you know, we're going to be out in West Texas tomorrow. And I said, oh, great. I'm going too. Right. And, you know, I pull into the restaurant at 2.30 in the afternoon and they're sitting there in the restaurant. Right. And they're like, oh, come over and have drinks with us tonight. Isn't so that great? it helps create those connections. It does. And, you know, and I love when all the different chefs and the different restaurants were there in the club because it does. It, you know, it involves the community and, and, and involves everyone. Because it's like uh, Sharice Henry was telling me, you all work together so well. 
all of the restaurants, the restaurateurs, they all work together so well, right? I mean, it's almost like a big family. It, they do. And I think a lot of times, yeah, as a restaurant, I don't expect somebody to come to my restaurant every meal. Right. Or every of other course, meal or something right. like that. But what you do want is you want to, when people ask you, where should I eat? You want to give them good recommendations. Absolutely. Right. So right. more than anything, you want to say, hey, go here or go there. You know, everybody's got their favorites, right. you know, and, and I'm the same way where I go to different restaurants. I know exactly what, you know, right. I'm nowhere, I go to Press Cafe, you know, exactly. one of Philippe's restaurants and, um, and I'm going to get the trailhead chicken salad every time. <laughs> Right? Every time. So. Yes. Yeah. Got to work on them with their puppies over there. So anyway, so yes. And so seeing you at the TCU games, I mean, I mean, honestly, everyone, seriously, and and some of you that are listening or most of you listening has seen Mike, he's always shaking hands. People know him, hugging babies. And he's just such a, he, you know, he's such, he's, are you a politician or what? No. No. Gosh, can you imagine that career? I think there's just too much negativity in the world. Isn't that I mean, the And truth? I think everything, I think even, you know, you think you see it on social media, mm-hmm. you know, and you talk about bullying and all these different things that people are, are so quick to be negative. I know. Um, and I do feel sorry for anybody that seeks office because they have to endure a lot of that negativity. Right. You know, um, Kennedy's majors, political science and her, her, she was going into politics. I mean, and she has taken, she's a junior now. She's taken a 360. She's like, no, I, I mean, it's why, unfortunately, why would anyone get in politics is her thought process now. So, you know, we'll see where she lands, but that's a tough, that's a tough, tough, oh, good grief. It's more than just shaking hands. Yeah. Right? I'm a big fan of Kennedy. But uh, I mean, one of the things, she's incredibly well-spoken. She is. And she doesn't, and, and to the outside, she doesn't seem like she's getting nervous around people or things like that. Yeah. You and know, I, she was funny when she, she, uh, she's stage fright. I'm looking at our producer, Paul. She's straight, she gets in here and gets all nervous and fussy. But you don't see it. And I think, it, <laughs> and I think I might go back to her being a cheerleader in yeah. high school because yeah. I see the same thing. You know, I, I, one of the marketing professors at TCU, he has people from the, from industry come in and grade some um, projects that the kids do. Mm -hmm. And you see some of the kids and you see some of the cheerleaders and the showgirls. And the one thing when they're standing in front of the crowd, in front of the judges, they're not nervous where some other kids are nervous. Right. And I just know if I was standing up in front of people, I'd be nervous. Right. Right. If they're nervous, they're not showing it. Well, when you're out, you know, uh, a dear friend of mine, she twirled at, uh, we're the same age, she twirled at Texas. And she said, you know, when you stand out on the on the 50 yard line, basically in a bathing suit in front of 75,000 people, you kind of have to have a little confidence. I'm like, no joke. Right. So that, you know, and you, you do, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Okay. So, graduated TCU and you did you know your career path did you know what what you wanted to do when you grow up or see I don't even know I think it changed I mean because originally I thought I wanted to be in wildlife management Mm -hmm. yeah but that time that I was at TCU when I was at Sol Ross getting my basics I was actually helping some kids out on their master's programs Mm -hmm. because we had a ranch out there and you're always looking you know they're needing certain things to do their research so I was helping out them and I think I decided that if I wanted to be I'm still passionate about wildlife management, mm-hmm. but I don't know that I needed to go to school to study it. Right. In between then and now, obviously, the world's changed a lot because before, if you were interested in wildlife management, you could order some books that would talk about studies that were done, right? Yes. And now everything's published online. Right. And, and you know, just the access of data is Isn't immense. It, it is unbelievable. So. Yes, I know. Data is amazing in the Internet, for sure. Yeah. I just had an entire... Uh, 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 in, Encyclopedia Britannica. So I took it to sell it. I had it when I was in high school. They offered me 25 cents a book. I almost passed out. 
like, I don't let that rot in my my storage shed. So anyway. Use I it mean, as just, decorations at a restaurant, exactly. right? Exactly. Uh, I mean, there you have you bookshelves go. and, you know, exactly. you need to fill them up with something. Crazy. You might as well fill them up with a... Encyclopedia Britannica. Absolutely. You know? Is that crazy? Did y'all... Did, I mean, y'all... Am I, the, I'm, I know I'm the oldest one in the, in the group around here today, but, but I use Encyclopedia. Did anyone else? I did okay. when I was a kid. Okay, y'all made me feel better about myself. Okay, okay. So then you 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 have your business degree too. So that's mm-hmm. your your major. So you went into hedge funds too. So right? I worked for a hedge fund for a couple of years, which I think was great because it was a it was a small hedge fund, but you, you weren't pigeonholed in doing one thing. Right. So you could kind of look at any any business that you wanted to. A lot of times you, you call it like pair trading, mm-hmm. or and for example, you'd buy like a million dollars of Best Buy and you'd short a million dollars of, of Circuit City, right. you know, because you say, well, okay, over time, I think, you know, Best Buy is going to outperform Circuit City. So you're kind of market neutral right. on your investment, but you're betting that one's going to do better than the other. Okay. So, I mean, you know, come to now, you mm-hmm. can say that and say, well, Circuit City's gone. Exactly. Best Buy is still there, but, you know, but it allowed me to, to look at a lot of different businesses and it gave me a great, you know, kind of base of knowledge. Right. Um, but then my family had a... Um, through that manufacturing, right. there was a plastic blow molding facility up in Chicago that that we owned. That um, and I ended up going up there in two thousand and in uh, um, one. Okay, and was up there to about two thousand three. Ended up selling that business to a company called Pentier. Mm-hmm. Pentier is big into the. They were big into the water um, filtration business. So like a lot of um, water softeners might be a Pentair water softener. Okay. So we made like the brine cabinets for water softeners. We also made pressure tanks. This is your dad again, entrepreneur, right? A little bit. Yeah. Well, and, and, and kind of how, kind of getting back to his evolution was that was one of the original businesses um, Ernie Meyer and Les Klink owned in Chicago. Okay. Then they were buying parts from a silicone uh, company in Detroit called Detroit Silicone. Mm-hmm. Um, and it ended up going back bankrupt. So they ended up buying it. Okay. And they brought my dad on when he was 24 to to run it until he found a real manager. Right. right? Well, I guess you know, he did a great job. They really liked him. Mm-hmm. So they basically left him in place. And then over the years, they basically set it up where they made him a partner. They created a partnership and they made him a partner. Right. And they set it up to where the remaining partners could buy the other ones out after they passed away. Oh my! So God. that's kind of how my dad ended up with the company. So, okay. you know, Ernie and Les actually lived in Chicago. You know, then Detroit Silicones was in Detroit, and that's what my dad moved. They renamed to J Mac, and they moved to Weatherford in uh, in 1975. So you lived in Chicago for a couple of years. Is that correct? I was up there, but you know, it's cold, right? Yeah, I was, but you know, I I lived. Uh, I worked there. I'm not sure I lived there. Really? You know, because I still had a life here. I still came a fair, came back here a fair amount of times because this is where kind of the the home office was. Okay. Um, so you commuted, basically. You know, I did start playing a little bit of polo up in Chicago, so that kind of got me into that. I saw But, you know, that. there were some, you know, I shoot a bunch of sporting clays. I think it's a great sport. You're mm-hmm. seeing it more and more where people aren't doing golf tournaments anymore and they're doing a lot of sporting clays. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Chicago was a little weird because you'd go into a gun store over there and they wouldn't let you see a gun without a Chicago firearms license. So I don't know that I understood all the rules. Mm -hmm. You know, if I went back in time now, one of the better sporting uh, places in the country is down in Naperville. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's one of those things that you go out and shoot. You know, there are other people shooting. You can go shoot with them. They need somebody to pull for them. You could have made some more friends. Where up there, I was friends with people that I worked with, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't living there enough um, to really be involved in the community like I am now. Right. And 
I'm older, I'm right. wiser, yes. you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's, you know, for us, we're involved because we're involved with the chamber, we're involved with the Convention mm-hmm. and Visitors Bureau, and aside from all these other charities that you get involved with. Exactly, right, because because yep. we have talked about many times, the philanthropic world is here, and thank goodness we Big are, time. we are in a, we're in a, in a world, and you know, you do look, we were talking about that. There is so much negative right now in the world, and here we're dealing with this coronavirus and stock market and negative, negative, you know, and I don't care which side of the fence you're on. I really don't, but it's just, I just look, I take a step back. Um, Kennedy's sorority, my sorority, we raised $150,000 for the women's shelter a few weeks ago. You know, 19-year-old girls doing this, and the years that we were involved, feeling the homeless and and everyone giving back, and, and you are very involved in giving back, right? So what, what are some of the philanthropies you like to work in? You know, I mean, just we're involved in so many because we probably get one or two donation requests right? You know, a week. So, I mean, it's a little bit of everything. It's everybody that you have connections with. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, later this week, there's Park City's Quail. They've got a big uh, fundraiser. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the money, one of the organizations that they've given a lot of money to is the Borderlands Research Institute, which is actually there at Sol Ross. Um, so they're trying to put a package together for the auction. Right. You know, come spend a couple of days with our researchers in Alpine. They tied it with a hotel. Mm-hmm. And now it's a dinner at Riata and do some cigars in there. Packing. So that's one of the ones that's kind of happening together. Right. But, you know, the, some of the stuff that's coming up in Fort Worth is that obviously you have Empty Bowls, mm-hmm. which is a big uh, fundraiser for the Terranera Food Bank. That's right. That's coming up. Really good thing where a lot of restaurants um, will get out there. All will make some kind of a soup. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's a lunchtime event. So skip your lunch at... Right. Riata or Capitol Grill or Del right. Frisco's Grill, you know, come down there and and have a great soup while supporting the food bank. And that's coming up? It's coming up in the next couple of weeks. Next couple so of weeks. Depends on, you know, right. depends on when this uh, podcast publishes. But yeah, it'll be in the, in, it'll be in the next month for sure. Absolutely. Isn't that great? So. And then restaurant week. We just finished uh, the Lena Pope, right? Restaurant week? Or, or? So there was a, there was, there was a winter restaurant week. That's right. So summer, there's a winter restaurant week. Summer restaurant week's in August. Right. Um, this There was a winter restaurant week that was a couple weeks ago. We don't participate in that one just because of our involvement out at the Stock Show and Rodeo. That's right. They were busy, so. Because you guys, do you still have a Riata at the Rodeo? So we've got... We've actually got five locations out there. So oh, we, my So, I mean, but it started out, you know, between when we got hit by the tornado and we used to be in the Bank One building and mm-hmm. before we moved to Sundance, mm-hmm. there was a 16-month period that we weren't running a restaurant. So, we were trying to do this catering, trying to really be involved in the community as much as we could. So... January of 2002, we opened the first Riata at the Rodeo across from the exhibit halls. It was one room, about 60 people. Right. That expanded to two rooms and about 120. Then we took over the backstage club. Then the stock show wanted Mexicans, so I actually introduced them to a, to a, some Mexican restaurants who looked at it for a long time. And then I think they decided that we want to focus on opening new locations and not do something at the Rodeo, which is fine. Sure. The stock show said, we still want Mexican. Would you do it? So that's how we did a Mexican restaurant called La Escuela. <laughs> then the doctor said, we want we want Starbucks, but, you know, Starbucks won't do it directly. You know, um, so we do like the Starbucks proudly served, mm-hmm. which is similar to what you see in like a lot of the hotels. Sure. You know, where it's kind of the franchisee right. thing of Starbucks. So we've got two locations there. We've got one right by the Justin Arena and then one right in the exhibit hall. Oh, my goodness. So you basically have a lot of irons in the fire. Yeah, but I mean, we're lucky because we've got a really great team. Great management you know? team. So. Absolutely. So would you consider yourself a chef? No, but I mean, my cooking tends to be more at events. Okay. You know, and, and sometimes, yes. Yeah. It, and I, and 
I like to fiddle and do things. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we've roasted a lot of pigs right. for different events. We've done it for uh, Navy when they had the Armed Forces Bowl and they had right. we did their tailgate. You know, we've actually done it at, at the Buffalo Gap Food and Wine Festival mm-hmm. a couple times. Right. We've done it at the Fort Worth Food and Wine Festival. But it's literally a pit that I made right. that we're roasting pigs on. Right. Um, so, and I just gave my last one away to Emily McLaughlin. You did? Well, she's got that event called Booby Q. Yes. So I gave it off to Booby Q. They auctioned it off at the Booby Q and I just finished building a new one. So I've got a welder in my garage. So I'm literally, you know, making things in my garage to figure out how I can do it better. You are fiddling then. I am. (laughs) You're a professional fiddler then. For sure. Not like playing the fiddle, but fiddling in the garage. So, okay. So I agree with that because, you know, what you have an executive chef and he has his staff that I'm a chef. I graduated culinary school. I did that, but I'm not a restaurant chef, you know, and people are like, what is the favorite thing you like to cook? Oh my goodness. Just depends on whatever day it is. But, but I'm like you, an event. It was an event, doing television, doing radio, Buffalo Gap, so many things like that. And that is a different, I want everybody to know that that is a different type of chef. And, you know, and, and, and then there's that there's, and no, I don't ever want a restaurant ever. No, no. No, we're really, I mean, James Gaines, our executive chef, we're really lucky. But for for an executive chef at Riata, we need a better organizer mm-hmm. because, you know, you've got oh my seven other chefs working for you. Right. Yeah, in reality, you know, and when you have a restaurant that's open two shifts, seven days a week, 363 days a year, Mm-mm. you know, um, and... Uh, and all these caterings that you do that you're sending chefs on for these caterings and events, mm-hmm. you need somebody that's a really good leader, a really good organizer. Right, um, right. You know, my husband says, um, and Greg recently sold Blackman Mooring, and he always said, and I have listened to this, and I, in my new business, I especially listen to him. He coaches me quite a bit, is hire people smarter than yourself. Stay in your lane. You know, um, I was talking to my producer, Paul, earlier. He's like, I finally hired an accountant. Yeah, because you're not a, you're a creative person. You're not an accountant. Um, I can't do the same thing. I'm a chef. You know, I have the creative brain. So yeah, you know, you don't, you need people to manage multiple events. Oh my goodness. And I think, and for us, I think it gets a little bit easier because, you know, we almost have one chef who's a chef that can, that can work the line, but he also can do all the purchasing, right? Kitchen manager. You know, so, I mean, so it's great. So, I mean, he can actually make sure that we're getting the best price Mm -hmm. and the best products possible. So, you know, so I think... When your organization does get a little, a little bit larger in the restaurant business, that you can have the ability to kind of have almost have people that specialize, right? Also, and how many um, how many tables can you how many how many can y'all do you know now or is it just I don't know. The hardest thing in the restaurant is that you know I mean you know most of our small taps are still four tops, mm-hmm. but on average, you know, if you look at the people that walk in traffic, it's only two point four people, right? So when you can say, well, my restaurant can seat five hundred, but on average, at every four top. Mm-hmm. You know, you might only have, you know, 50% of them, you only have two people at. So all of a sudden, those are only at 50%, right? So right. I think that's the the interesting thing about the restaurant business right. is that, you know, a lot of times you have a table that can seat eight people or can seat six, right. you know? So a lot of times you might have, you have a party for six, you've got it set for six, mm-hmm. or maybe you have a party for 10. So, right. you know. Just depends. It does. You know, I think the hardest thing about the restaurant business, and it's different than a lot of other businesses that are kind of in that travel of hospitality mm-hmm. is that, you know, we still charge the same amount on a Monday night as we do on a Friday night. Okay. But if you go to a hotel or if you go in the airline business, mm-hmm. you're going to have to pay more for that hotel 
on those busy times. Exactly. So, and I think that's a trend that you have not seen in the restaurant business, right. but we still do 45% of our business on Fridays and Saturdays. Absolutely. So the, you do the other 55% spread out over those other five days. Right. So I think that's a really interesting thing about the restaurant business um, that people don't always get. As much as anything, you're almost managing real estate. Right. Oh, gosh. And you have your real estate license, too. I do. Yeah. But yeah. I mean... I I don't actively use it, but it's one of those things. We've got a real estate development out in Alpine. Mm -hmm. I don't need the real estate because we're selling our own property, but it's something that I've just had for years and continue to do the continuing education to keep it up. So tell me about your real estate development out in Alpine. Um, once again, my dad's a serial entrepreneur, you know, (laughs) you know, we had a, are you a serial entrepreneur? Not nearly as much as him. Not much. No. I'm more like handed, like this is my old idea and you, you've got to continue to manage it right. while he goes on to his new thing. Okay. Right? Um, <laughs> you just have to corral him. Uh, a little bit. So um, yeah, it, it's great. You know, I think part of it is, is that, you know, for him, it's a great area. You know, um, I think a lot more people have heard about Marfa. Yes. Because Marfa's gotten so hot and gets written in the New York Times. And Marfa's a great community and it's only 26 miles from Alpine, but it's a little... This is not to be me, but a little dysfunctional. Is it? Well, I mean, so, I mean, there's there's not a pharmacy in Alpine or in Marfa, I mean. So if, you know, if you need to get a prescription filled, you can't get it from, uh, you can't get it filled locally. That is Now, odd. there's four, three or four pharmacies in in, uh, in Alpine. Really? You can't get your car inspected in Marfa, oh but you can get God. your car inspected in Alpine. So once you get out there, you know, one of the things that I've kind of created a whole like big bone tour guide, because I have a lot of friends that go out there mm-hmm. and they might go out there because they heard Marfa so cool. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, like, you know, here's this, here's this, you know, like, you know, travel guide. Right. When the hardest thing is getting there. Yes. Right. So, I mean, you know, if you can't fly in uh, privately, you know, you've got to either fly into Midland or Midland or El Paso. Midland's 150 miles. Oh. El Paso is 210. Yeah, I think if you're from Fort Worth on the west side, it's almost as easy to drive as it is to fly. Oh, heavens. Um, but it's still a seven-hour drive. Seven. But go out there. Go see the McDonald Observatory. Beautiful. You know, go see, go see Big Ben Saddlery. Mm-hmm. You know, great location that's actually making things there. Right. You know, go spend a night at the Gauge over in Marathon because they're one of the things that really made that— area special mm-hmm. 30 years ago. Oh, absolutely. You know, you can go down to Big Man National Park, see that. You can go um, Lajitas, see Blow Creek, um, you and know, the Fort and Fort Davis. The art galleries and the Absolutely. The and then all the things in, you know, the Donald Judd Foundation and Marfa, sure. and, and that has spawned a bunch of restaurants and other art galleries in that in, in Marfa. So your ranch, your your business, in, and it's called Sierra La... Sierra La Marana, which means... Uh, so... On that ranch, there's a mountain called Bullfrog Mountain. Okay. So, and Rana means frog. Okay. So, I mean, so basically, Sierra Rana means frog mountain. Okay. So that, but we got it because of this Bullfrog Mountain that's on that, uh, that's on that ranch. Okay. Gotcha. Yep. So, and then I read that you're, it's called ranchettes. So was that just smaller versions, Yeah, basically? I mean, so it's 10, it's 10 to 100 acres. So, I mean, there's some different laws out there. So all the minimum... Basically, we try to keep the minimum lot sizes at least 10 acres. Okay. Um, but then one of the things out there is that um, if you don't, if you buy the property and you don't fence it in, we'll lease it back from you and we'll still run cattle, okay. which allows you to keep your ag exemption. Right. So, and, and out there, you know, I mean, you know, you're one cow to about 50 acres. Oh, really? Yep. Oh, my goodness. So, I mean, so it, it, it's a beautiful area. And getting back to that point, we talked about Alan Savory and that kind of deal. If you're having cattle out there that are turning basically undigestible grass for humans mm-hmm. into protein, um, and, um, 
but sure. then it allows it allows those people to keep their ag exemptions and uh, right and manage everything. So, is it more of a master planned community? Is what you're doing, or I mean, I'm trying to. It, it, it is to the point, but I don't. You know, I think when I sometimes we think master plans. I mean, I think we've set aside mm-hmm. um, areas that if you want to put a restaurant or hotel that's far away from the the houses, that's possible. But you know, you're still in a town of six thousand. Mm-hmm. You know, the one thing I think if you look at Alpine compared to other areas is we don't have that one big draw. Okay. And, you know, if you use Telluride as an example, you know, like Telluride, the big draw is the wintertime skiing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then they've done a probably a better job than almost any other community about doing other events the whole rest of the year. Because right. you've built all this infrastructure for the ski season, right? Mm-hmm. But then, you know, one weekend they'll have the a motorcycle event. One weekend they'll have a, a, a very well-respected movie festival. Right. You know, the one weekend they'll have a jazz festival. Right. You know, so the one thing about Alpine is we don't have that one big draw. It is an incredibly nice community, you know, and I think part of the reason behind that is that you've got Solros there. So you've got some big, stable employers that have been there for a long time. Right. Where if you go back east of there— you get, you get into more than oil and gas areas that are tied to that thing. And over the years, there's been a boom-bust cycle to that. Right. Right? Where in Alpine, it's always had a good, steady uh, group of employers. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So do you host um, hunting out there? Do you have groups that people can hunt? And if so, what? I mean, is yeah, that- so we do. And I think that's just part of um, ranching now. Right. You know, rent- hunting has become an incredible co- uh, good uh, source of income for ranches. Mm-hmm. So obviously a lot of times, you know, cattle is the number one source of income. But a lot of times you basically put all your costs on the cattle. Right. So, but but now hunting has become a bigger and bigger source of income. Right. And I think it's people that want to, you know, want to enjoy the outdoors and experience things. Is it mule deer hunting, a so white we do tail? A, so we do a lot of mule deer hunting, mm-hmm. um, and then we do some—there's okay, a fair amount of uh, free-roaming elk out there. Mm-hmm. There's some exotics that have been out there for years and years. One's called a Barbary sheep or an Audad. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of Audad. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> it, it's one of these things that—God, I mean, they've probably been there— 50 or 60 years. Right. So, right. but yeah. it's a, it, the bar, the Audad is basically North, uh, native to North Africa. Okay. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And, but I bet it's beautiful. Yep. I mean, beautiful. Just out at my girlfriend's ranch at uh, Santo and all the, the bucks were in the, their velvet and about to lose their antler. I mean, just beautiful. You know, just, I grew up hunters and um, family, family ranchers. And, you know, I'm in the city now and I do not choose to go back to that that type of um, living, but going back to this ranch, just seeing the beauty and the peace of deer. It, I mean, it was beautiful. I yep. mean, I have to say it was got a little emotional because it, it was what my parents, we, I grew up deer hunting. Yep. Can you believe I went deer hunting? But I think one of the things that people I mean, one, I think they learned some good skills because of that. One, mm-hmm. they understand where their food comes from. Yes. You know, <laughs> I think they understand a little bit more about butchering and cutting up animals and, you know, and stuff like that. And I think that's been, you've seen one trend in the beef industry and the may probably the one big trend is, is that instead of looking at, at whole cuts, they're starting to look at almost individual muscles. Exactly. You know, you know one of my favorite restaurants in, in Fort Worth is Clay Pigeon, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and you'll go in there and sometimes they'll have the center of the ribeye or, and then sometimes you'll see on the menu of the spinalis. Exactly. Well, both those the spinalis and the longismus are the two muscles in the ribeye, right? Right. So the the spinalis is kind of the flap over the top of it. Mm-hmm. The longismus is that kind of the center thing, you yes. know. Um, and, and what they're basically doing is they're basically pulling those apart, 
I think you've seen that trend, that trend over the years. I mean, you've oh, sure. the, the flat iron. Yes. People didn't know, really know about the flat iron, but it was an individual muscle. Mm-hmm. And when you start looking at that individual muscle, happens to be very tender and flavorful right. and, and really a great item. So I, was, I remember back many years ago when the flat iron was such a hot, hot cut. And someone asked, I was doing a cooking event, and um, someone said, did they just invent this? And I went, no, they didn't just reinvent the muscles. <laughs> it was so funny. But no, this, it, you're right. Right. And, and Marcus being able to name these and people, it does create excitement yep. and the way he cooks it. And I mean, it's fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. Well, and I think part of that goes back to like some of the fundamentals of cooking. Mm-hmm. And I think people know that, but they don't really think about it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but you want to cut across the grain and not with the grain. Correct. Right. But do you some, all know that? Does everyone know that? I don't when, know if they do. Okay. So we're going to explain it to you. When you have a steak, you... Grain. You want to you want to cut across the grain and not with the grain because right. what you're basically doing is is that if you cut with the grain you're going to have to chew through all that mm-hmm. you know and depending on the cut it might be it might be three to five business days and you'll still have uh, I don't know about that <laughs> but you know <laughs> but, but but you know but then basically it basically is cutting that up so it's easier uh, it's more yes pleasurable experience yes. Um, but a lot of times when you're when you're talking about individual two muscles, mm-hmm. those grains might be different ways. Absolutely. So when you start basically pulling these muscles apart and, and looking at each muscle individually, then you can cut it across the grain. Exactly. Do you have a favorite cut of beef that you like? I really like the skirt steaks and the flank steaks and Do something you? like that. And it's not to say that I don't think... If I was telling anybody, you know, the, the guarantee is like the tenderloin. Yes. It's the most tender. Mm-hmm. Um, Least amount of flavor, right? Unless you it, add to it. it. It does. But I mean, I think for me, the biggest thing is you just don't overcook it. Yeah. Oh, you heavens. Know? Yes. So, um, and for me, salt does a lot. Absolutely. Um, and I think, but I think the tenderloin is one of those things, but it's also, it doesn't have a lot of intermuscular fat. So if you want to talk from the pure health perspective, mm-hmm. it's incredibly healthy. Right. Because the amount of protein per ounce of, per, per ounce is, is incredibly high. So I think it's really a great item. Um, but I tend to like the the skirts and the flanks and something like that, they tend to be a little bit more of the chewier mm-hmm. plus. But also, I think it allows me to see what the chef's doing it with mm-hmm. it. Yep. Where with a tenderloin, just don't overcook it and don't screw it up. Exactly. Right? You know, exactly. Ribeye a little bit the same way, obviously a little bit more flavorful. Right. But some of these uh, secondary cuts, I want to see what the chef's you know, doing yeah. with a thing. Exactly. So it, it, but I expect that to be a little chewier. Exactly. I think there are some people they don't ex- they expect mm-hmm. no difference between the skirt steak and the tenderloin. Well, yeah, but the skirt steak was half as much as the tenderloin. Exactly. Right? It's, you know. There's a reason. Exactly. You know, um, so when I was studying out at CIA in Napa, I was with a chef and we had a challenge to, uh, because it was a beef event, and um, we had a challenge to create a recipe. And I tell you, the the recipe I created was tequila, garlic, peppercorns, um, a lime juice, cilantro, little chopped serrano peppers, and marinade. It is ridiculous. It is so good. I mean, in the flavor, it just... It just soaks up that, yeah. I mean, that's, and I agree. I do. I love that. My favorite is the tenderloin because it's tried and true. Cook it nice, medium rare for me, a little rare because, you know, and, and, and being in the restaurant, do you just cringe when people order a, a steak? Well yes. done. Oh my gosh. Guys, come on now. Come on. Everybody get with the program. I mean. Do you sous vide anything? I, I do sous vide. Yes. Yeah. I've done that you know, for years and years. I, I It's 
flawless. I yeah. mean, right? Do you I, like to do? I, I, I like it. I mean, there's a yeah. I think there's a one of the sous vides called the Jewel, mm-hmm. and they've done a great job because they've got a great app. Yes. But you know, I think when you start talking about you start talking about venison and, and wild game and, mm-hmm. and things like that, you know, I think. You know, venison is very similar to a tenderloin. Yes. You know, the quickest way to make it really tough is overcooking it. Oh, heavens. Now, you do you enjoy a wild game? I do. You do? Yep. See, um, my family had so much wild game growing up. I think I just, we had it, and we had to have it. That was yeah. our food supply, you know, and, and um, cat having, we sold cattle, but that was a delicacy for us. But now you go to restaurants and venison's a delicacy, right? Mm-hmm. Saw it recently in North Carolina on the menu and it was so expensive. It was just like, wait. Oh, it's more expensive than beef. Is that crazy, yeah. right? And is that because of production too, right? Yeah, because I mean, you know, and I don't know what the rules are in North Carolina, yeah. but I mean, you know, you're still having to harvest the things mm-hmm. in, a, in a regulated and environment, you know, yes. and, and obviously with cattle, it's easy to, because they're, they're, yeah. they're used to going into pens and trailers and that kind of deal. Sure. When you have deer or something like that, it becomes more difficult. Exactly. So. Exactly. Now, Mike, you are an outdoorsman, so you yeah. like to hunt, fish. If you, you follow him, I want you all follow him at, at TXMike75 on his Instagram. You can see the most incredible wildlife pictures. I mean, what do you have a favorite? You just love everything. You're a fisherman. I, I fish a lot more than I hunt, and part of it is because at the ranch, you know, kind of like we talked about, you know, we have people that pay us to come hunting, right? You know, so you know all those all those beautiful pictures and all those beautiful mule deer and elk and that kind of deal. They're kind of reserved for the people paying to come hunting. Right. Similar to when you were growing up, you sure. know, the cattle are we're supposed to sell the cattle at the market, right? You know, that's why we're eating the venison, right? Um, so it's a little bit same that that same way with me. So I don't I don't tend to shoot a lot of deer, mm-hmm. um, but uh, but but do enjoy it. But, you know, but fishing for me is something that I can do on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a bunch of lakes around Fort Worth. Right. I've also become, you know, there's been, there's this whole high school bass fishing league. Oh, really? So, yeah. So, I mean, so like high school kids, you know, they've gotten so competitive with all these club sports. Sure. Well, now you kind of had a little bit of the same thing happen with fishing where I these see. kids that, that aren't participating maybe in their schools, um, football, football team or baseball team, but they can get into fishing. And I think that's great because, you know, and many times they can do this, something with they, they can do with their dad, that's right. you know, or, or one of their family members. In this case, um, you know, I've got a couple of kids that I'm their boat captain. So we've got a tournament this next weekend at Lake Whitney. <laughs> that so, is awesome. Yeah. But it's, but it's, it's something really fun, but it's amazing the participation because I mean, at the tournament up at Ray Roberts, my team ended up getting fifth place, but out of 196 teams. What? So that means they had to have 100 and find 196 people that had a boat, you know, either a family member or a friend, like in my case, to take these kids out. But I think it's a great way to get them out in the outdoors. Oh, my goodness. That is amazing. Yeah. I think that is so fabulous. Yeah. I mean, just in, in involvement and socially, too, as well. That Oh, my gosh. You got fifth. Well, good for you. Yeah. Wow. That is amazing. Oh, my goodness. So do you go deep sea and... I do. I ha- I tend to do more like lake fishing. Uh-huh. But that's just because it's easy for me to do on the weekend. Because right. I can get up early and go out to PK and go on, yeah. on a Saturday morning and go fishing, and then I can still come into the restaurant Saturday night. Right. Um, and also sometimes with the deep sea, some of those boats they get expensive, and I gotta oh. f- trying to find friends to go with me at the same time. <laughs> You know, I've done some, they, they have some like party boats kind of out of off of California. So I've gone on like a seven day fishing trip off of San Diego. Right. But okay. we caught bluefin tuna, yellowfin tuna, yellowtail, you know, oh rockfish. So a lot of items that people love. But the weird thing about me is I don't like fish. You don't. Okay. What? 
Yep. I don't like fish either. You don't? Uh, well, I, I've yeah. heard your podcast. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, but you yeah. found what you can eat at Pacific you, Tables yeah, here good. Well, yeah, she's got me down. Yeah. She's got me down. But okay, now wait a minute. You don't like fish. It's nah. Just the flavor's not appetizing for me. Okay, even we had this we had this conversation with Sharice and and I will eat fried catfish. Well, and like and like fried calamari? Yeah. I mean, are you really tasting anything? Are you tasting? I mean, <laughs> you know, are you, yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> I I'll eat that, but it's just not something. Yeah, isn't that? But I like. So you just do it for the sport. I do. Okay. Do you throw back? Um, most of the time. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I did not know that. Now we have a commonality we because do. now I had a horrible experience in culinary school. That's why I don't like fish. Yeah. Oh, oh, just really bad. Anyway. Anyway. Okay. So I'm going to ask you, um, because Greg has asked me about this many times, but you're a private pilot, right? I am. You are. So, so do you fly a lot? I used to a long time ago and a, and a long time ago, one of my other businesses, we managed aircraft right. for people. Um, and I flew some, and I flew out to Alpine, but, you know, I flew like a little Cessna 206, which is, you know, single engine, but it's still a three-hour flight in this, in a 206, mm -hmm. and then you have to get to the airport a little bit early, sure. pre-flight the airplane, put it up, so it's not three hours, it's more four, right. four, four and a half, um, and, and those little single-engine planes, they, they don't, they're not big enough to get over weather, mm -hmm. there's things like that, so I kind of grew away from it because... <laughs> At my point in life, I'm going out there and I'm saying, okay, I need to go out there on Monday after my three o'clock meeting. Sure. And then I can come back on Thursday, but I've got another commitment on Friday. Mm -hmm. So, and I think some of the times when you, when you see people in small planes, yeah, you know, crash, it's because they were trying to get back for a certain reason or they're trying to do something. And obviously, you know, you've just seen this whole Kobe Bryant thing, oh my which is incredibly sad, so. but at some point, you know, it's, at some point it's, it's. It's probably smarter not to fly. I would assume so, so. And that's why I mean, and that's why I end up driving. So now, when I'm going out there, I'm always taking stuff out to the restaurant. Oh, so yeah, a, a small airplane you could fit it on there, but I'm taking card to go cardboard. Yeah. I'm taking chocolates and of this and that. Of course, you're the you're the pack mule, right? So well, Je Greg has always wanted a plane, and I'm just like, no, 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 no. But he was talking to someone about about getting a plane, and you know the pilots and the and you know, I mean, having the company that manages. I mean, I'm but, just no. but there's been a big trend from I mean. The big change between then now is there's all these fractional ownerships. Yes. So you don't have to, I mean, so, you know, when we first started in that business, fractional ownership really didn't exist, mm -hmm. right? I mean, if you got a plane, you maybe found a couple of friends who were partners and that's kind of how you split the cost. Yeah. A lot of these airplanes, you need to be flying them at least 250 hours a year to make it economical because at some point you still have to do annual inspections on those planes and things like that. So right. they need to have some... Usage. So I think we've seen this fractional ownership has allowed a lot more people to own a part of a plane and get the number of hours because, you know, if yeah. like flying out to Alpine, you know, if you had a King Air or something like that, twin engine plane that can get over and get around weather, mm -hmm. you know, and you have a pilot basically pre-flighting the airplane and flying it out there. Then it becomes an hour and a half trip. Right. You know, you get to the airport, you know, you go directly right. on the plane, you do that. Obviously, I think, you know. The oil and gas industry is big here in the Fort Worth and in North Texas region. Mm -hmm. But, you know, years ago, these guys were flying up to South Dakota. Sure. You know? And if they wanted to fly commercially, they'd have to go to Denver and then to, 
you know, Montana, and then they'd still have a couple hour drive. This allows them to get their people in the field. Exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. So. Well, guess what? Greg Blackman, the answer is still no. Okay. Just, I said it right here. I tried to do a really good argument for him. <laughs> the answer is no, 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 he no. He just needs to get businesses in places that are hard to get to. Oh, gosh. I mean, I'm telling you. I, I hear this. I hear he'll have a meeting or something, and I, I'm like, no. He's like, I don't tell you no. Yeah. So we actually know. sold that business to a company called Executive Airshare that you has did. a fractional ownership that's based out of Fort Worth. So. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay, one last question for you. Okay. All right, this might be a tough one. What is your favorite? You're going right now. Let's say you're going to Riata. What is your favorite menu item? Oof. I know, right? I always do this to them. I literally like the carne asada. There um, it is. Now, if it's me, I love salads. Me too. So for me, if you put the carne asada on the, on the field green salad, that's perfect. That's it. Yep. Carne asada. Oh my gosh. And it is good, good, good at Riata. I can't wait to go. I need to get them on a puppy for sure. It's just vodka and grapefruit juice, people. It's not, it's, there's no, this, this isn't rocket science. It's at all. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for the invite. Oh my goodness. It was so great to get to know you better. And I'm just so proud of you and what you do for our city. And thank you so much. And everyone follow him at TXMike75 on Instagram and Mike McAuliffe on Facebook. You will see all of his adventures. And everyone, follow me at Tiffany C. Blackman. And please, when you listen to these podcasts and look at these podcasts on YouTube, please rate and review. A really good rating, though. But rate and review for me if you don't mind. And thank you all so much for My So-Called Fabulous. Have a great day. Bye-bye.